Um, because I'm going to be talking a little bit uh, this morning on uh, vision, on how the, the, kingdom, uh, the, the, the kingdom was spread and advanced through vision and action, um, certainly then, and kind of maybe what that means for us now. I'm going to share a few stories. Uh, as I kind of said there in the disclaimer, um, I'm very much in the midst of this and learning and processing as we go. I've wrestled with these stories, uh, both the stories in Acts and a lot of the New Testament stories leading up to this this kind of moment that I'll be sharing with uh, a lot this past week and, and actually the weeks much prior to that and for much of my life. Um, I lead uh, an organization uh, that is both based here in Canada as well as in Uganda and East Africa um, that has many different stakeholders. And a part of, part of leading an organization with many different stakeholders is uh, I get to help lead a lot of conversations around vision, uh, around uh, trying to collectively unify uh, lots of different groups around singular visions or singular vision. Um, so I spent a lot of my time thinking about it and um, a lot of the time thinking about how do we take these big lofty vision statements and big, big lofty ideas around vision and connect them to action. And so there are lots of great books on leadership, lots of great books on vision. I'm not going to try to unpack that all this morning. Uh, you know, if you want, I can refer you to some ideas there. I'm just going to try to pull at some threads. Uh, that was a social media reference there. I'm going to try to pull at some threads on... Uh, it's the number one downloaded app in world history this past week uh, for the boomers in the crowd. Um, I'm going to try to pull at some threads on uh, vision and, and that I've seen this past week as I've studied the story and the stories of the, uh, the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts is primarily about vision and action and vision and action. A lot of conflict, uh, a lot of kind of wrestling with uh, how does the kingdom of God and how does specifically this new Christ way uh, get advanced through force, through tension, through wrestling through things through you know, if you thought that church meetings ended with peace and all resolution and everybody being happy and a lot of pats on the back, uh, in those early days, you're wrong. Things got really messy and, and there were a lot, there was a lot of conflict and a lot of kind of, um, a lot of unpacking that had to be done and people relied on vision and action. And I'm going to take a little bit of kind of a, a 30,000 foot view of things uh, this morning. Um, because I think there's a role, I think there's a role to kind of dive deep into the specific scriptures, and uh, and we'll kind of dig at some of that a little bit. Uh, but it's kind of more interesting for me this morning to kind of look at the thirty thousand uh, foot view. So to start, um, uh, this isn't on the actual passage that I'm going to be speaking on, but I think it's important to start with that God's first and foremost vision for us, uh, and the first and foremost vision in the New Testament, uh, is God's central vision for our belovedness, our belonging in God's and God's uh, belonging uh, and belovedness for us. Uh, so Jesus, is, uh, as he was beginning his ministry uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 3, uh, he was baptized, John the Baptist, by John, he saw a dove coming down and uh, he heard this, and this is out of, this is the new NIV version. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And as, as I was wrestling through the book of Acts and thinking about vision, uh, I wanted to kind of ground this talk because it's very easy to kind of, for me at least, as a performer, as somebody who um, can really quickly get caught into, uh, I guess, performance. Um, 
I want to root this in this, in our belovedness in Jesus, in our identity in Jesus, because it, it can quickly, quickly start to feel like um, tasks and the, the kind of things that we have to accomplish in order to perform and achieve the kind of metrics of the kingdom. But I think it's really important to root all of our conversation in what I believe is, was God's, God's identity for Jesus and God's voice for Jesus, but also God's central view of us his belovedness for us. This is not my core uh, idea. This is Henry Nouwen's core idea. This is Parker Palmer's core idea, but his core identity for us. You're mine. I love you, and I'm proud of you. Before anything happens in the kingdom of God, this is God's core identity for us. This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. So we're going to jump into the text in a second, but I think we need to root ourselves here. All right, now that we've rooted ourselves in belovedness, um, uh, let's jump into the text. So I'm, uh, I'm reading here from Acts chapter 10, um, and I know uh, Ken said that uh, we're, we're, throughout the, the book of Acts, we're primarily focusing on Paul. Uh, I'm going to be primarily focusing on Peter for two reasons. One, that's kind of the passage or, or group of passages that I was given to, to choose from. And two, Peter's kind of my favorite guy in the New Testament. Um, so Acts chapter 10. Um, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. At about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come to him and say, Cornelius... And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one, uh, and bring one Simeon, uh, Simon, who is uh, called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from them, uh, who also attended him, and having Related, uh, related everything to them, he sent, to Job, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop uh, at about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens open up and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it, there were all, kind of, all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there was a voice to him that said, Peter, rise up and kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up all at once to heaven. Now Peter was inwardly perplexed to what the vision uh, he had seen might mean. And behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made the inquiry to Simon's house, stood at the gate. And he called out and asked whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany with them uh, accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to them and said, I am the one you are looking for. What's the reason you're coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, 
an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken by the house uh, by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. And the next day he rose with them and went to them uh, and went with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelia was expecting them, and they called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his knees and worshipped him. But then Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I too am a man. And he talked with him, and he went up and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with you or to visit another of... um, or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown to me what I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, at about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. And your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I at once sent for you and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of the God to hear what you have been commanded, that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and is, is acceptable uh, to him, uh, as, for the Lord, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, you yourselves know what has happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism of John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power, and who went about doing good and healing all that who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witness, um, witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging on the tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, uh, not to all people, but to those who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who drank and ate with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness and everyone who believes in him and receives forgiveness of sins throughout his name. And here's, here's the money. And while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised who had been uh, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gifts of the Holy Spirit were poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, Here's it. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they remained uh, to him uh, remained to him for some days. It's a pretty incredible uh, chunk of scripture there. You can kind of get lost, you know, around the 34 mark where Peter kind of dives into the Jesus part of, you know, all talking about what Jesus did. But, but um, it's a pretty, it's, it's kind of like the central part of, of the, I'm, I'm not going to say the central part of the New Testament, but the central part of Acts, right? 
For those of you who, who want maybe the, the, the summary part of Acts chapter 10, so we've got Peter, devout teacher, a devout Jew. He's praying away. He gets hungry. He goes down. He's waiting for food. All of a sudden, as he's waiting for food, he falls into a trance. And in that trance, he sees this sheet drop down from heaven. And on that sheet or in the sheet, in the vision, he sees all of, this, all of these animals. And he hears the voice from heaven. The voice from heaven says, you can eat any of these things. And of course, Peter says, well, I'm a devout Jew. I can't eat. eat I, you know, I can only eat the foods that are... Um, required or, or selected by, by my custom, by my tradition, um, by Jewish law. And God says, or the voice says, you know, do not call uh, unclean what I have made clean, um, and so on and so forth. And of course, the scripture continues. Cornelius, uh, Cornelius was known as um, a devout Gentile. Uh, in in uh, many of the references, he's considered to be the first Gentile convert uh, Cornelius is practicing um, practicing many of the rituals and the, the, the uh, practices of the way, but he is, of course, not a Jew. He is, he is a Gentile. All of a sudden, he too receives this vision. Uh, and in the vision, uh, he's told to, to send for Peter. Um, I think it's this beautiful example of vision, discernment in community. Uh, and together, when they, they connect, um, we see this really amazing example of, of the Lord uh, welcoming Cornelius, welcoming Cornelius and saying, you know, in, into the family, into the family of God, saying, you do not need to conform to these, new, to these Jewish laws in order to be welcomed into my family. So there are four threads that I've kind of pulled out from, from this chapter or from this chunk of scripture. I think, um, really, you could spend hours unpacking this uh, and I think, in fact, it's probably worthwhile for Emmanuel to spend hours worthwhile unpacking the implications of this scripture uh, for this community. Um, what does it mean to show this kind of welcome? What does it mean for this community to say, you do not need to conform to our ways in order to feel welcome here at this table? You do not need to change in order to feel welcome here at this table? I think that is a massive and worthwhile exercise for this community to engage and just dialogue together with. We're not going to kind of really do a deep dive on this because of time and, and a whole lot of other reasons. But there are four sort of themes that I've kind of pulled out of this as a, as a kind of meta look um, in this kind of vision action dynamic that I want to um, pull out of right now. So the first, uh, as I said, we rooted this in belovedness, um, that both of these parties here are, are rooted in their identity in Christ. They have this sense of belovedness in Jesus, sense of belovedness and, and I don't know, um, connection with, with their creator. Um, the second is that there's this core uh, vision task dynamic that we see all throughout the New Testament, all throughout how the kingdom of God has been advanced um, throughout the, the New Testament and beyond. Um, there's an inscription on the church in Sussex um, that says a vision without a task is just a dream, but a task without a vision is drudgery. And uh, that has been a very powerful quote in my life, a very powerful saying in my life. And I think God is calling us to this vision task dynamic. It's a right leg, left leg sort of thing. It's not a tension. The right leg doesn't move the body forward any more than the left leg moves the body forward. They work together. It's a partnership. It's sort of like that con contemplation action kind of dynamic that, that Thomas Merton speaks of 
where one is the spring and the other is the stream. Um, Parker Palmer talks about it as the ceaseless drive of what it means to be fully alive, this vision-action dynamic. We can all look at our day jobs as sort of having some of this dynamic as well, I'm, I'm sure, right? We have the task that is in front of us, but then we have the bigger picture of what it means to engage in the work that we're doing every single day. <clears throat> we have the job that's in front of us, and we have the bigger picture. The sort of third, third kind of thread that I've pulled out is that we are co-laborers with Christ, not tools in a tool belt. And that often comes if we're willing to be interrupted, a lot of that is also stems from our sense of belovedness. I think sometimes growing up in the church and, and just <clears throat> sometimes with how we, how we relate to one another, we can, and, and this is just my own baggage perhaps, but um, we can sometimes think that we are just uh, you know, taskmasters for God uh, if we get the, the order of this, these threads wrong. Uh, but what you see here in the scripture is very much this dynamic where God, God could have performed this welcome sense or this, this kingdom advancing um, introduction into, into the kingdom, many other dynamics, but he chose to take this very fundamental basic way of welcoming Cornelius into the kingdom through using food, <clears throat> through using food, sorry, um, <clears throat> through bringing these two people together through giving two visions, through, um, through giving two unique visions, calling one party to the other party. It's, it's not just a taskmaster sort of way. We are, we are not just taskmasters. We are co-laborers with Christ. And you see this dynamic all throughout the, the book of Acts, and you see it all throughout the New Testament. Um, I had many other stories of, of how Jesus uh, performs this, but I'm going to skip them for now. And perhaps the third... Um, or sorry, the fourth most important thread that I saw is how, how community is this place of vision, stewardship, or nurturing. So I love how Cornelius um, and, and, and Peter here are, are dialoguing and interacting and trying to discern together that they are, uh, what this vision means. That community is the place in which they are unpacking how this welcome, what this welcome means for them as a community. That when Peter walks in, there's a whole crowd waiting to listen, waiting to be hungry to understand what this vision looks like together and how it will play out as a community. That we are people who hunger for it, who look for it, who nurture it, who long for it. And it's in the community that, and that the rubber meets the road, quite literally in this context with respect to food. Um, but it's not a solo act. Visioning is not a solo act. Uh, and I think community is a place where sort of this redemptive entrepreneurship or redemptive imagination and vision stewardship is primarily where it happens. And there's so many other amazing stories in the New Testament, but also in our own lives, uh, where community is that sense where visioning and vision is stewarded. So... Um, uh, I'm not necessarily here to give some practical takeaways here, but what I want to do is I believe in a, in a continually expanding and generative New Testament. And what I mean by that is I believe that the New Testament is being written every single day in our lives and in community. So I've invited, uh, I just want to actually quickly see, I, don't, I haven't seen Beto. Beto's there. Beto, I think, is an example of how, of, of each of these four threads. Belovedness, 
meet and expand, vision action, co-laborers, community. Beto, what do you do for a living? Stand up and share a little bit. I'm going to call on a few people who the rest of them don't know it. So, Beto? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll throw you a mic. I won't throw it. Sorry, Sean. Maybe I will. Well, I, I have a painting business, and uh, many of you know I've painted some of your homes. But, um, you, you know, um, I'm pretty impressed with what he said about me. <laughs> but I, I, have, I have to be honest. I'm very blessed to be in the business that I am because people ask for my service, and they don't get only a painting service. They get friendship, they get connection, they get a hearing voice, a hearing ear. Uh, many, many of you have heard of my request for my clients in their problems, right? You've, you are part of that connection to us as we we're talking. And I realized in the early uh, stage of my uh, business that a lot of people would say, oh, these guys came and painted and made a mess. And it's not that good or whatever. So I said, well, my mandate is to go and do the best the first time. Do it. Um, and that they, they would be satisfied with the, the work that I've done and that I'm not cutting corners, that I'm uh, doing what I said it would be. If I said at 7, it's at 7, you know. A lot of people don't have that in this life today. Um, people don't really respect that. So, um, and also when, when I, I have the opportunity to go into these homes, sometimes with the people and sometimes without them, but God has given me the opportunity to be in their lives. So I see it that way. I, every time I go, I pray for, for, if I'm going to go to an estimate, I pray for the people, I pray for the, whatever I want to uh, uh, approach, and that God would guide me or say, yeah, I would love to work with these people. Maybe I shouldn't work with these people. But at the end of the day, God has put me in their lives. And you are in their lives wherever you are. You do, you're part of it. So we ha have the privilege to be part of their lives without, uh, yeah, God is doing it, really. Um, and, you know, knowing, knowing that I, I have a backup, I would say, if, if you know, I have a, a client of mine that she has really, has had really major problems with her family and so on. And I've passed it on to you for prayer. And you have prayed for her. And, you know, every time she goes and I go to her house, she says, you're God sent. It's like, she's not even a Christian. So she says, you're God sent. It's like, well... Actually, sometimes she even swears or uses the name of Jesus in, in vain. And she says, oh, I'm so, so sorry, so sorry. I said, well, you should be sorry because you're asking the most powerful name on the planet. Like, what? Yeah, yeah, it's true. If you use the name of Jesus, you're using it for the right thing. You don't use it for the wrong thing. Anyways, that's... Yeah, thanks, Dan. Okay. Leslie, would you be willing to share what you do? Me? Yeah. And what, or what you've done. Okay, so, I mean, I can put, so here's the thing. Many of us do this, and we don't think of it like this. But Leslie very much, I feel like, has met, done many jobs and has walked out every single one of these things. 
I'll talk about my former job because yeah. no one will yeah, understand yeah. my current job. Uh, exactly. I don't um, even know what you do. I was a labor and delivery nurse and a NICU nurse uh, for many, many years. Um, I don't know what you want me to say. So I worked at Richmond Hospital and I was at many of your births. <laughs> people yeah. here have uh, I've supported people uh, in this community and in other communities and uh, have been able to walk alongside them and be with them through high highs and low lows. Um, everyone talks about how the maternity unit, oh, it's so happy and it's so great. And it is a lot of the time, but there's also a lot of heartache there and there's a lot that people don't talk about. And I've been able to be there with people through just doing my job and being able to um, share those moments with them. So thank you. Yeah, that's something that I feel is really, I've been really blessed to be able to walk alongside people on their hardest days as well. Thanks. That's great. I had asked um, Les Many to share as well. Les runs a outdoor play, uh, outdoor play structures company that uses the natural landscape, natural materials from the natural landscape. So think like trees and branches and trees, wood. And, uh, and, and he has a real heart for having and helping kids engage with the natural landscape, with nature, and, and employing people who otherwise would have barriers to entry to employment. There's a vision, there's a task, there's a bigger picture, um, there's a sense of belovedness and identity there, uh, there's a co-laboring aspect, and there's a community there as well. Um, Two years ago, I was about to lay off uh, somebody in Uganda um, named Athens because our program that we were running um, was winding down. And so we no longer needed Athens' service. Quite frankly, it was pretty just a calculated budget decision. Um, Athens had come through our program, ironically. Uh, she was a sponsorship student. And um, <clears throat> she, yeah, she, she was, uh, she didn't have a family, and so she was, her tuition was covered by the, the, the program that we were running, and she had been paid for her education, on and on and on. And then she ran the education program at our, at our charity, at our NGO. But then we were winding down our education program. Uh, we no longer do that. And um, so it was an unfortunate decision, but we were going to have to lay her off. Um, and then by happenstance, uh, somewhat, or providence, um, our, uh, our video services. We could no longer afford sending Westerners to uh, Uganda to take video for us. And I thought, uh, the, the, the passing thought for me was, well, why don't we give Athens a phone in two months to see if she can learn how to use a phone, uh, learn how to use, take videos and pictures. Um, Athens has recently won a Canadian Marketer of the Year Award. Uh, and... Uh, and it's been incredible for us, um, has continued in, you know, during COVID when uh, charities couldn't send anybody over to Uganda or to anywhere. Uh, people kept asking us how we were getting such incredible content and everything else. And uh, I, I'm not here to share about my work, but it was an example of vision and a task. And I'm not, again, here to share that I'm a visionary or anything like that. It was just this idea of, um, yeah, this idea of, of, of being able to listen, look up, and, and see what else is going on. And I think there are so many examples of that in this community. Um, 
But I, I wanted to just kind of draw it back here before I close, that God continues to seem to be expanding this pattern of who's in and who's welcome. It started in the Garden of Eden, him walking with Adam and Eve. It went on to the Israelites, continuing to expand this, this kind of little, this, this, this dynamic of his kingdom. And it continues to, continue to expand there, continue to welcome in the Gentiles. And, and I think this community continues to welcome and meet people on their terms in their communities with people like Beto walk, praying and walking in. You know, Patricia, who used to practice family law, would tell me about how she would pray before every case and before every client and, and continues to meet clients and people on their terms. And, and this community has many examples of that as God continues to show how radically inclusive his gospel message was. Um, and ironically, often there is forceful opposition from the religious leaders about it. Um, and I think the subversive nature of our, of our kingdom and of this gospel was that people continued to, to show up, to meet people on their terms, and continue to show that the way of Jesus was this radically inclusive, generous, loving way. Um, so that's it. Uh, I would just continue to encourage us to... Uh, to look for ways that, that God is wanting to show up to expand his kingdom through our everyday um, through our everyday interactions, through our everyday connection of vision and action combined. Uh, I would like to close with two things, uh, praying a blessing over you and, uh, yeah, praying a blessing over you, actually. First, Father, I pray that uh, we would hear these words that you are loved, you are, we are yours, and that you are proud of us. And Father, I pray that in these days you would pour out your spirit on all of us. I pray that our sons and our daughters would prophesy pray that the young women and young men would see visions. I pray that the old women and old men would dream dreams. I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done and that we would be a place of nurturing this vision, these visions and these actions of showing how radically inclusive your kingdom is, of meeting people where they're at, of being a people who wouldn't be afraid to be interrupted as your kingdom advances. I thank you for these stories and, and um, for these New Testaments being written every day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.